Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I am your host, Neil. In this second part of my conversation with Hanan, we talk about spirituality and Islam, which is a deep part of Hanan's being. I ask her about the widely held perception that Islam is an outdated, fundamentalist, intolerant religion that spreads and secures itself through violence and fear and subjugates women. Hanan tells me a bit about how this perception came to be. And then coming to the personal side, I ask her what her Islam is like. What are its core values and emotions? Did she always relate to Islam as she does today? Or did it evolve? Is it uncool to be young and religious? What is God? And is God a good boy or a bad boy? Is there meaning without God? Is doing science a form of worship? Why and what does she think about death all the time? What does Islam say will happen right after we die? I ask Hanan how she feels God's presence, whether she thinks she is a good person. She talks about our relationship with the present, given our existence in a timeline. And I ferociously attack her by reading from a Buddhist monk's writings that hope is garbage and an obstacle to living. Hanan recovers and tells me about shadow selves and the way that our identity and values flow between different forms as we connect with different people. I ask her if she finds it easy to change herself, and I also ask her what she meant when she said that I have good energy because I want to hear her talk about it. If you enjoy visiting the Room of Lives, you can throw me a tip in Ether, Dai, or other Ethereum-based coins at abranil.f. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. So where are we going next? We're, you're going to talk about religion and spirituality. Let's do it. Yeah. So, okay. What a big topic. This is a pretty big topic. It's about everything. It's about so, everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So also the amount of time that religion and spirituality keeps coming up in all my podcasts. Yeah. Like, do I have anything else to talk about? <laughs> I'm like, well, how am I, think, I not bored? I think it's like a it's like a fundamental part of humanness is being connected to something that's outside of yourself. Yeah. I used to be a militant atheist for most of my life. Really? Yeah, yeah. Was not, that not a, just a reaction a... For, for something? If you had asked me then, I would have said, no, it's just about the truth. Okay, no, 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 let's not flip this podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, so about Islam, okay. we can... Um, so I think the first question that I find helpful to ask is like a question of chronology. What has been the evolution of your religious belief? Like, were you always religious? And particularly about Islam, but also in, in general asking about spirituality as yeah. well. Yes. 
Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, like I, you know, I've, I've said before, but also to just reiterate, I've always been very curious about why things work and the purpose behind things. And I was always wanting to understand the meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Growing up, so my parents were from the Middle East, right? And so they grew up, they were raised Muslim. It was the only thing they really knew. But coming to America, obviously you're interacting with a lot of different people. You're not just interacting. It's not the majority religion anymore, right? You go from, it was a majority religion for my parents in their fundamental time developmentally. Um, and then for me growing up, I grew up in a lot of, I would say, more conservative-leaning communities and environments where things were pretty black and white. And actually, historically, that comes as a reaction to um, colonialism in the Middle East. Um, That's where, like, a lot of the fundamental beliefs come from. And so, of course, a lot of the immigrants that come here are going to bring that with them. Um, and so a lot of beliefs such as like, you know, Muslims are good, everyone else is bad, you don't want to spend too much time around people who are not Muslim because they're going to infiltrate your value system, um, a lot of, this is just how the way it is, this is just the way it is, and I didn't... Like, I just, I didn't believe in that. Like, I, you know, the more I interacted with people outside of my... Okay, but, like, I just want to take a step back. Historically, who were these colonizers of the Middle East? Uh, The Western world. uh, British, I mean, Britain, the UK, I don't know too much about... Okay, I mean, you know, the Eastern world, all of it was colonized um, at some point. Mm. And so after the fall of the Ottoman Empire... Um, I think in like the 17, I really don't know my history that well, but after the fall of the Ottoman empire, Mm. you know, it was taken over by the Western world, um, and the Western world, including America actually put a lot of fundamental leaders in charge, um, which of course affected the way that religion, it affected the way that religion was, um, taught but anyways Mm -hmm. what you'll find in a lot of like a lot of immigrant communities is very is this very it's a little bit of a harsher um way of dealing with things but it comes from this trauma Mm -hmm. right and so i think you know and we might talk about like fundamentalism in a a little bit but (sighs) anyways so when i was about like 11, 12 years old, I knew that the religion that I saw people practicing and the the way that people were preaching Islam didn't sit well with me. And I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was right. I didn't think that, you know, judging people in this way made any sense. Like when you interact with people, people are literally, people generally are just trying their best in the world, given the, the tools that they have and the ways that they were able to make meaning. And so when I was around 11 or 12, I started exploring other religions. But also at that time, 
I kind of just knew that God existed. It was kind of like uh, an, an, a, real, a feeling that I couldn't explain. And I didn't really have any like interest in explaining it or conceptualizing it. I just knew within myself, like, I feel a certain connection to God and that's good enough for me. So I want to make sense of religion and how I'm supposed to like be on this earth given my relationship with God. But the way that Islam was being practiced didn't feel right to me. And so I did a lot of a lot of research as like, you know, an 11, 12 year old in what like 2003 can do um, into Christianity and Judaism because those felt like the closest. Because within the religion, I really do I really do appreciate a lot of the traditions. I appreciate that there's like, um, excuse me, like there are certain rules that you know to follow, and that makes that makes me feel more secure on this earth that is so arbitrary. Um, but as I was doing my research, I realized that the Islam that was being practiced did not reflect the Islam that I was learning. And so as I learned more about the religion and more about God, I recognized that the religion itself is way more forgiving than the people who practice it. Um, and so, and also the concept of who God is and prophets and, you know, messengers and the role of humans and all of that, I really, what Islam was teaching really felt most, um, just made the most sense to me compared to any other religion, you know, given like the Trinity, um, given like the history of who the Prophet Muhammad was and um, who Jesus was, etc. So. Basically, I landed back on Islam. But at that point, I had recognized, like, okay, what people are saying or the way that people are practicing is not necessarily reflective of the religion. And so I really took it upon myself to kind of, you know, take more classes, like, be engaged in more, like, Bible study, right, things, youth groups, stuff like that. And the more and more I learn about religion, the more I fall in love with it. Like, there has, like, every time, if I'm... Whenever I'm feeling upset, I know that I can just open a lecture on some sort of concept within the religion and it, it will just give me the sense of ease right away. It doesn't matter what the topic is about. And um, it just makes sense. Like the level of compassion, the level of like no nonsense that the religion has fits really well with how I understand the world. And it, to me, it just feels like a living and breathing relationship between my mind and my soul and my body and everything else. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it was really yeah. then, like, you know, in my preteens that that was like... Hmm you know, set in stone for me. And then everything after that was just a matter of like, how do I get closer to God? How do I become a better person? And, and I've always found that just practicing the religion 
automatically makes me a better person in my interactions with people. And so hmm. I have no doubt that Islam, I have no doubt that God exists and I have no doubt that the teachings of Islam will make anybody a better person. What are these, can you name some of the practices, principles, and inspirations? I can, yeah, I can name the ones that like really resonate with me. Um, I mean, so within Islam, the number one So within Islam, oh, the number one belief that makes you Muslim is that you believe that there is only one God, there's no God but God, and that Prophet Muhammad was the last messenger. If you have that belief in your mind, you are Muslim. Even if you don't do anything else, like you don't practice the prayer, you, you know, lie and cheat or do whatever, if you believe in that, then you are Muslim. So then everything outside of that is, uh, you know, the like rulings and teachings. So of course there's like, you know, you have to pray, give charity, you know, don't lie, respect your parents, all of the stuff. Okay. What am I saying? Okay. So like I said, it's Ooh. that God, there's one God. Yeah. And that Muhammad is his messenger. And Muhammad, we believe, is the most perfect human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. And so really studying his life, you can learn about the ways that you can be a better version of yourself. Because he's the most perfect person. So any quality that you're trying to get better at, he was the most perfect at. Wait, you have to believe that as well? To that be Muslim? What? That then Muhammad was the most perfect person? I mean, I guess it's like part of it. Like as long as you believe that he is the prophet, but mm. within that belief is that mm. he was the most perfect person. And so when I learn about the prophet's story, like he was the most compassionate um, person, he stood up for everybody. He, he stood up for what was right. He advocated for those who couldn't advocate for themselves. He never made anyone feel shameful or like they couldn't be better. He you know, epitome of emotional intelligence. And that, the more I learn about that, the more I'm like, it's, it's kind of, it's almost like, here's a guide on how to be a very compassionate person, right? And I think we've talked about this before, but my name means compassionate. And so, I don't know if it's wait, related. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, that's Hanan. Hashem means crusher. Yeah. But compassionate crusher. Compassionate crusher of bread. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, crushing bread. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so, so I mean, I don't know if it's related to my name, but I've always, like, really wanted to be a very compassionate person because I can see how healing it is for people to just be able to sit with them and accept every piece of who they are. And that's exactly what the Prophet did. And that's what Islam does, is that it accepts every part, every piece of who you are. And um, that is just really valuable to me. Wait a minute. Yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> a lot it. of this let's is like new information. It. Yeah. This is very new information. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... So there is no difference between good and evil? There is. And when I say accept, I mean like... No one is turned away. Within Islam, right? People are faulty and they turn people away all the time. But the religion itself, and who God is, and who the prophet is, there is no rejection of people. Like, you could be the worst person ever, you could be, you know, someone who murders and does horrible, horrible things, but there's always, Hmm. there's always, always a chance for you to redeem yourself. But is it, it's, it's still a dualistic religion? Hmm. To be honest, I don't want to give you, like, wrong information because I'm not, like, 100% familiar with what defines religion as dualistic. But there is heaven and hell. And there are sins and good deeds. But it's more than that. Like, that is just a metric. Okay. That, it's a metric that you can't even, like, really use. It's just, like, a, know that there is a metric that measures these things. But when you learn about, like, what's measured... So, for example, if I do something... So, if I'm sitting here and I'm like, I want to, um, you know, call my sister and check in on her. That's considered a good deed, right? Because I'm doing something good. But if I don't end up doing it, just having the intention of doing it gives me the good deed for doing it. It's as if I did it. Yeah. But say I was like, oh, I want to, like... I don't like this person when I say something mean to them. That is not, none of that is counted unless I do it. Right? Like, so there's no, you don't count the intention if it's like a negative thing. Oh. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Right? And then, get this. If I like do something, say like I littered, right? And that would be like a sin. But then I went back and I picked it up. The bad sin gets replaced. The sin gets replaced with a good deed, and you get a good deed for picking it up. So you see what I mean? There is duality, but it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, and then say like I taught like my sister how to be like a kind person, Mm. or say like I taught her how to. um, It could be even something as like. I taught her how to brush her teeth, right? Because she's really little. Um, And I, like, taught her that that brushing your teeth is part of taking yourself, taking care of yourself. And taking care of yourself is a good deed. And say because of that, she ended up teaching five other kids how to brush their teeth. And they were brushing their teeth to take care of themselves and they were getting the good deeds. Yeah. She would get the good deeds for teaching them. Yeah. And I would get the good deeds. Yeah. That they're getting. Yeah. Because it was because of something that I did that someone else is doing. Yeah. It's good. It's like multi-level marketing, but it works. 
Yeah. Right, right. (laughs) How many people do recruit any good? (laughs) Right, right. But it's like, yeah, but it's like doing goodness, you know? I see. Okay, 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 okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't I don't actually want to get into this right now. Because <laughs> okay. I had, like, other stuff, but I, yeah, okay, I don't okay. want to get into this, like, whole, like... Let's but you see how it's, like, everything? Up. I do see it, yeah. It's but everything, the, yeah. Okay, okay, not now, not now, not now. Later on, I'll ask you after the podcast about that. Okay. This is going to take us on a whole other uh, thing that is interesting to me, but it's not going to be that, yeah. Okay, okay gotcha. We can, we can talk about it anytime. Hmm... Okay. I think we kind of covered this thing where I wanted to talk about um, there's this or maybe you do have some things to say because I didn't ask you that exact question. Islam is widely seen in the world today and particularly in the Western world as a fundamentalist religion, as a backward religion, as one that is quite intolerant Mm-hmm. And people are not tiring of talking about, oh, they don't let their women have enough rights. And that it's a slow religion, an outdated religion for a world that is moving forward mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. And and it's also said frequently that the core teaching of the religion inspires people to spread it aggressively. And aggression is part of it. That yeah. like it's holy war, right? Um, and therefore, terrorism is intrinsically related to yeah. Islam. And these are not geopolitical issues. Mm-hmm. So, so if we, if you are really very honest and we say it like it is, there is a problem with Islam in the current world. I have heard this uh, perception like multiple times, particularly when I was in my very atheistic phase. Mm-hmm. So I was reading about a lot of literature that was critiquing religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, I don't want to get into the details of this, but anyway, this was a perception that I had. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? All right, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a lot. Where do I start? Okay, I mean, I, I mean, to, just to start, I can tell you that Islam is none of those things. Yeah, Islam as oh, it is. Have, I have okay, one right here. Okay. Yeah, I can tell you very confidently, Islam is none of those things. Hmm. But what I can tell you is where those thoughts came from. Yeah. Because they did not come from what the religion is. They came from a lot of different things. One of those things... Have you... Did you see the documentary 13th? No. Okay. Did you see the movie um, Vice? With... Uh, uh, it's about Dick Cheney? No. Okay. So I highly recommend you watch both of those things. I highly recommend any everybody watch those two things. The documentary Thirteenth is specifically talking about um, the Thirteenth Amendment and how it is disproportionately has just been. Excuse me. It's it's just used. Um, there's a loophole in the Thirteenth Amendment which says that 
all men are created equal and should be treated equally. And that it's that, like, well, I mean, not to go into all the details, but basically the documentary talks, throughout the documentary, they talk about how in the American political system, it's really important to have an enemy because when you have an enemy, you can tell the people that I'm protecting you from this enemy. And so, you know, in the 60s, it was the drug on the, the war on drugs. Yeah. Um, when what turned out to be that America was creating a drug problem to then try to solve the drug problem to gain support from people. Right. And then 9-11 happened and it became the war on terror. And even before that, though, there was a lot of, you know, the Iraq war was happening. And in order to justify the Iraq war, there needed to be an enemy. Yeah, I think I heard that the the USA has been constantly engaged in some conflict or the other at all times since it was founded. Yeah. That sounds about right. I don't right. know if that's true. but It sounds about right. I mean, they, they still right now at this moment have got armies elsewhere. Around oh, the world. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of the sentiment comes from the Western world's um, need for, like, support for a lot of the um, military invasions that they were doing, right? There's oil in Iraq, so we have to go get it because these fundamental people are going to use it for evil. There's a nuclear bot. They have a nuclear weapon. We have to go get it because these these fundamental people. And so there needed to be a reason. Now, talking about the Middle East is such a... I mean, I think talking about anywhere is very complicated, but after the fall of the Ottoman Empire... You know, and then a lot of, you know, a lot of leaders were put into place by the Western world. Um, But then some leaders came to power that were trying to, you know, I mean, I don't know what their intention was, like whether they were trying to benefit their country or whatever. But, you know, America came in, Iraq War, all of this stuff, and um, ended up, you know, taking down the people in power. And so then you end up having these broken countries... Um, and as you would expect, a lot of like rebellions started to grow to maintain power, to maintain tradition, right? And any extremist group, like uh, extremist groups, they need a reason, right? To do what they're doing. If a lot of extremist groups have some sort of like, um, what's the word? Like, like a belief system, right? Like they need to be able to justify what they're doing to their followers. It's really all about power at the end of the day. And what you find, right? Similar with like Mm -hmm. the KKK, um, you know, and other like extremist groups is that they use religion as a tool to justify their behavior. Some people use religion. Other people use tradition like ethnic tradition other people use whatever it is right so religion is a tool that people can use to justify their extremist beliefs and so when you have groups like isis and al-qaeda and stuff like that 
it's easy to look at those groups and say, oh, they're using this to justify what they're doing, therefore this does justify what they're doing. But, I mean, I can take the Bible and justify hate crimes, which is what people do. So you can take any piece of anything and use it in a meaning-making process to just to make yourself feel to 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 make yourself feel better in that you're trying to justify the 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 horror that's happening in the world. Um so there's that piece of it. But then you also have, you know, like I said, a lot of these leaders that were put into place are very fundamentalist types of leaders and um so when people talk about like stoning and women being oppressed and all of the stuff, you know, oftentimes like um, Muslim countries would be kind of called for as like, hey, look what your people are doing and they're doing it in the name of religion. But when you look at each and being American Muslim, you really have to look at each of the things within the religion that people are using to justify their, their behaviors. And when you look at every single thing that's being used to justify, it's either like the wrong interpretation of it. It's um, just completely wrong. Like it does not exist anywhere in the religion. And it's like some extremist person said this and then everyone was like, oh, look, they said it. So therefore it is part of the religion and it, fits what I think about women being lower than, right, etc. An example of that is, um, there's, there's a verse in the Quran that speaks about war and the prophet saying like, um, something, or if it's the prophet, I'd have to look it up, but it's basically like a sentence or a verse about like, like, you know, kill them or take from them or something like that, right? So that's commonly, commonly, commonly used. And when you look at the verse in the Quran, it was actually revealed to the believers during a specific war that was happening when, where they were being tortured and murdered. And it was like, finally that war, like they got permission to fight back. And so those were like the verses that were revealed to those people. Mm. But then people take that verse and they're like, look what Islam teaches. Mm. So it's very much taken out of context. Mm. But what you have is a lot of people who are uneducated, uneducated about Islam outside of the religion, but also within the religion. Right? Not all Christians know Christianity really well. But it's interesting being Muslim in America because you're forced to really know these things because people will ask you. Yeah. People will, I mean, you will encounter it and you're going to have to have an answer. Yeah. And so now you have this whole generation of people that, of young Muslims who are like, oh yeah, bring it. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what verse it is. I know like the, inter you know, the translation. I know. Yeah. So it's like a really cool phenomena that happened because of Islamophobia. I like how you are optimistic like that, that you're calling it a cool phenomenon that happened. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of yeah. the funny little bit where you were talking about um, this thing that happened in the store where like you were visiting this like kind of racist people and mm -hmm. they were going at each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they were like mm -hmm. going at each other and <laughs> you were like, oh, this is actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's cool that you like to see it as a cool yeah. thing. But it's also kind of sad. 
It's like a pressure, it's isn't right? it? They do a pressure lot of is people. not necessarily a bad thing. Pressure makes people stronger, right? I know that's really cliche, but okay for you. But mm-hmm. do you not frequently encounter people who? Okay, so like I was you like, no, actually, I encounter a lot of people who become more fundamental, like have more fundamentalist views because of Islamophobia. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I understand. I understand mm-hmm. that. What I was asking is, yeah, I think this is related. Actually, this is related. I was like looking at you as you were talking about this. I'm like, oh, this is something that she holds so preciously, mm-hmm. and it's constantly being attacked and demeaned mm-hmm. by a lot of the people. It's just the air is thick with it. Oh yeah. Um. So doesn't that hurt? You have to remember also, I'm getting my PhD in, like, yeah. discrimination against Muslims. Yeah. So I really understand a lot of the processes. I know how it affects people, in what ways. I know, like, yeah. you know, I have a lot of knowledge that, at least for me, just makes me feel more like, you know, I get what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, like, in personal interactions, I can see outside of that. Mm-hmm. Like, when someone says something to me... Mm-hmm. I can look at them and understand that they just haven't encountered the knowledge that I have. Yeah. And that they're acting from a place of fear or vulnerability or trauma or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so... But wait, I have a quick interjection at this point. So when I asked you that, huh? and I said all of these descriptions about Islam, does that emotionally perturb you that I asked that? Mm-mm. Okay. No. I mean... You're not the first person to ask me this, and you're Mm -hmm. definitely not going to be the last person to ask me. Mm -hmm. So it's a question I get often. I mean, I was doing a... I was presenting with my advisor um, to a group. um, They're like the Texas psychologist group or something. Um, And we were presenting on counseling Middle Eastern and North African individuals, so Arab Americans. And, um, so, you know, I was there with my scarf and my advisor is Arab, but she's not Muslim. She's Christian. But of course, like part of our, com- part of our discussion was about like Muslim being Muslim. Cause like, you know, half of actually like a little less than half of Arab Americans are Muslim. And, um, anyways, so like, you know, very professional. These are all psychologists. A lot of them were elder, elderly, um, you know, I was doing my whole thing. And then we were having these group discussions. And so I was sitting in one of the groups and one of the counselors straight up told me, like, it is offensive to me that you are wearing your headscarf. And I don't think that that's right. And it's oppressive. And I had another person tell, like, say to me, right, like, this is a very professional type of thing. So it's like, I get it in those kind of settings. And then I get it when I'm like, you know, in line at a store. And people are, like, kind of staring at me. Um, it used to be very overwhelming. Actually, I had, like, chest pain for two years after, right after Trump got elected. Um, and it, and I became very paranoid. Like, I would leave my apartment every day, and as I was closing the door, I would just automatically have the thought of, like, I might not come back today. And it took me like a month or so until I was like, wait a minute, this is not a normal thought that people have. Like, you don't just think that like someone's going to kill you on the road. 
you know, whenever like my phone would ring, I would just be so terrified that something happened to one of my brothers. Um, because hate crimes like rose, right? So there's a lot of really negative things that come out of it. Um, but then I started doing research on somatic experiences with discrimination and being the only Muslim in different spaces and how does wearing the hijab affect um, your experiences of like whether people are being discriminatory against you, you know, how does like having a strong identity make you more likely to perceive Islamophobia, having a stronger religious identity. And those things kind of brought me more comfort because I get, I get the processes in which it works. Um, so, I mean, it is sad and overwhelming also because I'm constantly exposed to these things by like reading and all of that, but I, I'm also doing something about it. And it makes me feel like you just, you just got to keep going forward. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, this is actually pretty intense for me because <laughs> really? I feel like my mind is changing mm-hmm. so quickly mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that my mind normally doesn't change that quickly. Really? What yeah. do you mean? What is it changing about? All of this stuff. Is it like, yeah. So did you think that like, did you have kind of like suspicions about fundamentalism within Islam and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to be a little chill when I was saying, oh, the world says this and the world says that. But some of these are my own views. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, okay, whoa. Yeah, so it's like changing very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, okay, that's like off topic. That's off topic. That's <laughs> not on topic. But... Did that answer like, your question? Like, I believe everything that you're saying. Like, oh, okay. Really. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm speaking from a place of, like, yeah. knowledge. You yeah. know, like, I try really hard to be engaged with like scholars mm. and religious circles and stuff like that yeah okay so i feel partially incapacitated really <laughs> yeah like Whoa. i feel like i can i cannot trust myself to do the entire dashboard like normally in the control center there's a whole dashboard yeah, yeah. Right? So you have to focus it's like what's your body doing it's one <laughs> you know what are your thoughts doing? Yeah. And all of this, and you just like, like boop, 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 boop. I know everything. Right now, I feel like my ability is like lowered. Yeah. So if I focus on what I'm thinking, my body might start to do like. <laughs> what? <laughs> on, no, I'm just kind of. <laughs> are you feeling okay? Is that why your mind is changing? No. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mind is changing because you make pretty good arguments and you speak from a place of very, uh, a great transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I know, like, you're more susceptible, right? We're more susceptible to, like, believing things because we aren't really able to maybe complete all of our thoughts. Wait, are you using that as a tool to make me Muslim? (laughs) 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 To get me, and then you're like, I'm going to tell you, oh my God, this is Pavlovian conditioning. so funny. Good stuff about Islam. Do you Why think I like you... found you and I was like, Neil, I need to convert Neil. <laughs> I mean, look, here's the thing though. The funny thing is, um, I would, I would take that. <laughs> what do you mean? Like if religion comes to me in the form of, I'm just going to make you feel nice. Yeah, and that's what it is. all you have to do is believe what I'm telling you to do. 
or believe, believe what I ask you to believe and everything will be nicer. Isn't that such a good, uh, I mean, I'll take it. That's why I feel like I'm susceptible to conspiracy theories. <laughs> yes, but I have a response to that, which I need to pee first, but I'll tell you. Okay, all right. <laughs> Oh my god, my mind is racing. Okay, <laughs> so the response is this. I once went to a rabbi's like lectures mm-hmm. in a Jewish learning fellowship with my friend. And he was talking about good and evil. Yeah. And I think it was that if... if Like God is love or something like that, mm-hmm. then every evil is just here for the purpose of eventually becoming good. And this world is moving towards good mm-hmm. because God is good. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is what it was. It was like the first axiom was God exists and God is good. And God cares about you. Mm-hmm. Not an indifferent, absent God. Oh my god, it's just like coming back. Although I thought I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so God exists, class number one. Class number two is God cares about what you do. And class three is God is good. It was like you have to believe those. And then it started going into other stuff. And it said, well, of course we take the accents to be true. We all know that that's true. That's what it means to be Jewish, is to take those axioms to be true. So we we're going to talk about the second part. I was like, hang on a moment. <laughs> Can I just ask you a question? How does everyone here know that God is good? And mm-hmm. they said, well, just look at the goodness and love around us. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember their argument, or this is maybe my argument. It's like, oh, if if... If God wasn't love, like, how would they know to, like, put love? Because, like, evil doesn't know anything about love. So, if love exists, then, then it has to be that God is love because there's nothing higher. Um, so, he said, yeah, like, if, if you see, like, God does all of this good for you, and etc., and all this great stuff is going to happen, why would God do any of this for you if God wasn't good? And... I was like, well, if God is bad, then a really cruel thing would be to lead people on and then just just pull the rock from under their feet and just say, I made you go for this thing, but you suck. And this is eternity hell. That would be worse than just starting an eternity. That's true. Yeah. Like love is so important to us that it exactly hurts that much when it's taken away. So this could be the world of an evil god. Mm-hmm. And and then we all just like go to hell. And the evil god will be like, fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> that know? is 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 the existence of that thought what what really pushed you towards atheism? No, I don't think it was that. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it was that. But I asked this to both of the rabbis and they gave me like some answer. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, the exact symmetrical question can be asked about evil, and whatever you're using to justify. But then evil are just words. Like, there's no way you can prove things about words in the... It's just, yeah. 
I guess it's not about proof. <laughs> There's certain things that lend themselves to like proof. Yeah. And then sometimes you can just have to be okay with knowing that you'll never have enough proof to prove one thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, by the way, actually nothing has proof that is only apparent. Like all of the things like math appears to us as yeah. proofs and we think that we figured it out. Yeah. But that's just a property of the universe appearing in front of us, both in the form of the pictures and the thoughts. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I, one of the reasons I love learning yeah. is because, you know, like you, like you said, we only learn what is apparent, what is already Wait, existing. Wait, is this recording? Oh, I think yours might be mine. It was paused. No, yeah. Okay. So I often think about how, like, when I'm learning, I'm just learning about what absolute truth already is, right? Because absolute truth exists. And so when I'm learning, I'm just learning about what is already there. But absolute truth is God's creation. Like, our thoughts about things are also God's creation, but, to, but I believe that, like, what exists in absolute truth is God's creation. And when I learn about absolute truth, I'm learning about God. And that's why I love learning because even in learning math or statistics, whatever it is, I'm becoming a better person becoming because I'm becoming closer to God. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, that's kind of interesting because you find so many scientists yeah. who are atheists. Mm -hmm. It's not fashionable to be a high academic, a truth seeker and um, be right. into God. It's becoming more popular, though, I think. You think so? I think I it's think happening. It is. Yeah, I feel like uh, psychedelics might speak that up. Um, mm -hmm. But then if you go back centuries, scientists and artists considered themselves to be celebrating God's world. Right. Like science was a way of worship. Yes. Can I tell you something else? Yeah. <laughs> this is something that Nolan and I kind of came into conclusion together, is that when we think about our senses, that is the way that we experience absolute truth. And when it comes to like music and creativity and art, those are all individuals using their, their senses to a, to a more extreme level, like a very intensified, mm -hmm. a very intensified version of their senses. So they're getting closer to absolute truth because it's intensified. And so that's why I truly believe that art and creativity is part of be being religious and being spiritual. Yeah. Because you're engaging more with God and absolute truth. Yeah. I think I get into flow yeah. when I'm doing science sometimes. Right. Yeah. Like I get into flow and... <laughs> you see? Did you see how he got out and no. he doesn't... He got out and he doesn't... He wants you to open the door for him. And this is like the classic comic cat that's like i don't want to go in no, i want to go out I wanna... there's like a cat trying to get into a castle and the whole drawbridge have has to be has to be pulled down over the moat and the cat and the cat is the king so this and the cat king enters the fort and the whole drawbridge is and he's like i want to go, go back <laughs> and i'm sure they uh yeah they made way 
now. Wait, what was I talking about? You were talking about, you were saying how, like, when you're creative and you're in a flow, you Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the thing is, this sounds so nerdy, but I feel like it's some of the... Oh, my God. I'm actually going to say this. (laughs) Say it, (laughs) please. What what was I going to say, though? Man, I feel, yeah, sometimes I feel like doing science is like one of the truest forms of happiness and love that I've experienced. And I know that makes me sound I feel so dorky, very similarly. so dorky, but I was like, human beings have not been this consistent in me, just like wanting to go in this direction more and it always being rewarded by happiness. Yeah. Like, I feel like with human beings, it's been, like, contradict. Like, it's inconsistent, and right? It starts being better, and then it starts getting it's worse. It's predictable. Blah, blah, blah. It's predictable. Science is... Hmm. You collect data, and you find out if it exists in the future, and there's nothing you can do if it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. change. Yeah. It's pretty quick. Oh, as in quick, as in there's no... There's no bullshit. Yeah. It's like, this is the truth. Yeah. Or it's not. And I think that, hmm. like, you know... Getting like being in graduate school, I feel like the sense that we are like using is our intellect, and our in, just like our imagination, the like mm-hmm. the depth that our brains can go, which is also I feel like a sense, right? We talk about like having a sixth sense in our being, and I feel like it's it helps. It makes me feel like the the more I can think about something. In the different ways I can understand something only is proof to me how magnificent God is and how magnificent this world is. Because if I can think about <laughs> all of these things, yeah, how much exists out in the world? Yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> for the longest time, I was actually terrified of the idea of um, being in heaven forever. Because I was like, why would I want to spend one place in, in one place forever? Like, I, of course I'll get bored. Like, I don't understand. Okay. And then I came up with a solution. <laughs> My solution is that if I end up in heaven, mm-hmm. I am going to spend eternal life living in different timelines, in different people's minds, in different, like, histories and different realities. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I know. I and know I would be getting. learning forever. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, some that of those is what lives, heaven is to me. Is yeah, like but in some of those lives, it might be difficult learning. Yeah, but I'm in heaven, so I can figure out, you know, like, I can make it work so that I'm getting that knowledge yeah. and experiencing suffering as much as I want to. And it actually never kills you, I think. I don't think there is such a thing as death. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, it's like just a transition. I think that there's, I think that there's, you know, you're in this life mm-hmm. and then you travel to another life. Yeah. That's what it really is. I don't is. think there's total annihilation. No. Right. Yeah. But Which I used is, to believe that. Really? In my atheist is that there's zero? nothing else to believe if you're an atheist. That is so, that's really scary. How do you find meaning in that? Yeah, yeah, there are ways to find meaning in that. Yeah, yeah, what is it? (sighs) 
there are certain things that you can do that make you feel better. Mm-hmm. And um, even if at some point death will occur, now I'm alive and killing myself seems painful mm-hmm. because it seems like I don't want to stop existing. Okay. So therefore I have to keep existing. If I keep existing, I notice that there are some ways to do it that make me feel better than others. And from a very young age as babies, we're just doing whatever we think will make us feel better. So you could abstract this trying to feel better away, trying to figure out the patterns of the universe so that you feel better. I think this whole thing is meaning. Mm. Meaning is just an attachment of values to different states and outcomes of the universe, which otherwise is completely neutral. But it doesn't, doesn't that... I feel like that makes a there there becomes a limit to meaning because you're yeah. limited by what exists here and what we understand how we understand it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. So you feel that that's sad now, but yeah. the way that I used to feel was that it feels like I feel stuck when I yeah. think about that. And I'm like, okay, this is just how the world is, and mm-hmm. I face it. And there's a bunch of people out there who are weak. And they need a story. And I don't need a story. This is not the truth. Okay, see, this is where the idea of a shadow self comes in. Oh my god, you're gonna like psychotherapy out of it? Are you ready? Okay, sure. Okay, when you have a strong, like, dislike towards, like, a way of thought or, like, um, a behavior... Mm. When it's like a strong disgust, or it's like a strong, like negative feeling towards it, there's, it's, there's usually, it's usually because there is a part of yourself that wants to feel that way, and you are, you're trying so hard to reject that piece of yourself that you are rejecting it from others. So you're projecting and you're displacing the emotion that you have towards that part of yourself that wants to have that onto other people. So that's why when you see like people are like, oh I don't I don't get why like X, Y, and Z does this. And it's like, at the end of the day, why does it matter? Why does it matter that there's a group of people who do that? Mm. But your fixation on that behavior is a reflection of um a piece of you that you're trying to reject. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so that means that if I scoff at religious people, there must be something that's like that within me that I'm trying to reject. Correct. But that, I don't, I don't see how that's any more explanatory. Like, what, okay. But with, that's like a whole side thing. We had this, the whole, like, the main thing to talk about. I'm kind of lost. What? Wait, because you know how you were saying that, like, you would see people who were seeking meaning? Yeah. Like, as weak? Yeah. That's, a, that's, oh, yeah, would yeah, be 100%. explained as, like, part of your shadow yeah. self. That you were so desperately... You want so desperately, you wanted so desperately to find meaning that you were like, you know what, like this, I can't keep like holding on to this, Mm. that you were rejecting it from other people as well. Because you could have your atheist beliefs and not feel that way about other people. But because you feel that way about people, that's where the shadow self comes in, not because of the atheist Mm. beliefs. Yeah, that's probably true. But broader question is like, what part of the podcast are we on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's okay. So we're talking about Islam. What were we talking about? Oh yeah, God. I think the last thing that we talked about that was like on the podcast timeline was um, 
Yeah, how do you feel about the perception of Islam? And yeah. you told me that whole thing. And uh, I think I already got some answers. But I'm going to ask you explicitly still. What would you like to replace this worldwide perception of Islam? Like, what would be a truer kind of summary perception of what Islam is all about? Like, you know, people yeah. say, oh, Buddhism, Buddhism is a religion of peace, blah, 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 etc. Yeah. yeah. I would like it to be treated like any other religion, where it's like, you know, the religion is good, but people mm. are messed up, and they do messed up things. Mm. And, but, you know, it's just kind of like, when you see someone who's like a really good Christian, you think of a really good Muslim. You know, a really good Jewish person, a really oh, good yeah. spiritual person, a really good Muslim. You know? Or like, ah, this person is Muslim, but they are pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I want there to be a differentiation between the religion and the people that practice it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? So we did this. This is pretty good, actually. I am enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yay. That's good to hear. Oh, yeah. How was... How was Islam present pre, presenting the culture in which you grew up? Oh, man, but it's been a journey because you know my parents grew up in Saudi Arabia. And Saudi mm. Arabia really holds a lot of the more most conservative views, but then they came to America and they were like, "Wait a minute! Like these views don't really work well." And so they have to go through a transition themselves. My parents, um, and you know we the kids were being raised through that transition, mm. which was really interesting. Cause like at one point we were way more conservative and as time went by, like as my parents understood it differently, like we were understanding it differently as children. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then interesting, you know, my mom started really learning more about the relationship. She's take, she's getting her bachelor's in Islamic studies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as she's learning more about it, you know, she was telling me this actually last week that when you know a little bit about something and there's actually a phenomena, but I don't know what it's called. It's like the opposite of the imposter phenomena. When you know a little bit of something, you think that you're an expert. Yeah. Um, and so she was telling me that like when she was first like studying the, when she knew a little bit, she thought she was an expert and it really came out in the ways that she was raising us at one point, you know, she didn't want me to wear color because she was like, no, that's too flashy. It's going to bring attention. Mm. And now she's like, okay, that was pretty like ridiculous. Mm. But I grew up in a household mm. where our practice was shifting based off of how my parents understood the religion. And I also understood that like, I can understand it in my own way that's separate from them. But really up until recently, I've been able to separate. It hasn't been until recently that I've been able to separate doing what my parents want and what I think God wants for me. Because those two things are just so enmeshed together. Yeah. And so I finally feel like, okay, my parents are going to do what they think is good and right. And I'm going to do what I think is good and right. And through doing what, through doing what I think is good and right, I might be disappointing my parents, but my relationship with God is higher than my relationship with my parents. Yeah. And it took me a long time to make that differentiation. Um, but you see that that's what that's what I think about with like values and morals. Like mm. 
my parents' values and my values are, I would say, pretty different. And, and oftentimes, like, we get really angry at people who don't hold the same values as us, as if, like, they are a testament to what's wrong in the world. But the reality is that, separate from what you expect from people, people are different, and they're going to make meaning based off of their own life experiences and have value on things. Like, my value of compassion, like, it's okay if someone else doesn't value that. They might think it's important, but they might value, like, I don't know, logic more so, right? Or, like, understanding, I don't know, the physical world. So... I think about those two together because on one hand, like within the religion, there are certain things that are black and white, right? Like don't lie, don't cheat, you know, don't hurt other people. But there's so much gray in that. Like what if you hurt someone because you're doing good for another person, but you have to help this person because that person is unintentionally, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of in the mix. Yeah. But if you present that problem to different people, they're all going to give you different answers. Yeah. So which one is the right answer? Yeah. Is there a right answer? Is it just about being content in what you know? And, and recognizing that different people have different expectations of what is right and wrong. I think about this a lot as it relates to um like relationships between people and how like you know I may have an expectation of how I want to be treated but someone else has an expectation of how they want like we all have expectations of how we want to be treated but oftentimes we treat people the way we want to be treated because that's what we understand to be the good way to be treated but in doing that we hurt the other person feels hurt mm. and so like who's right or who's wrong What if one person has an inability to change because they're not able to like, you know, let go of the things that have allowed them to come to that point in their life? It seems like you don't believe in free will. I do believe in free will. But I also think that we're stuck in a lot of ways. You know, just Mm. like there's different behaviors that we have that we just feel kind of stuck in and But I do think we have free will. I think that sometimes it's hard for us to recognize that other people have free will too. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. I'm not even clear that I have free will. Like, who has free will? Who are you? Like me as an individual with a mind and a consciousness. But where is the drive from that coming from? This is... From God. So is that Well, from God's creations. Because God created souls. Yeah. And so it's my soul. And, and basically, living on this earth is a test for us to control that soul so that we're pure when we transition mm. and we land in the place that fits that soul. That sounds... Yeah. That sounds like reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But we're reincar- I guess we're reincarnated into the hereafter. Right? What does that mean? So, like, for us, we transition, you die... Mm. So in Islam, we actually like know exactly what happens to you, like what you will experience the moment you die and right after you die up until you are buried in your grave. 
Okay. What happens? <laughs> okay. So the first thing that happens is that um, your sins come to you in the form, uh, not your sins, your deeds come to you yeah. in the form of like, you know, the valiance. Like if it was, if you had more good deeds, it would be like a more beautiful, pleasant person. If you had more sins that you had in your life, it would be like a really terrifying person. Right. And so like your deeds will be reflected in this person that comes to you as you're dying. Um, and they will be the ones to come and kind of like comfort you or like make it a worse experience for you because there is accountability, right? For things that you do that are wrong. Um, and then the way that your soul is removed from your body, you're actually going to feel it. And so the extremes are explained like when you have, you know, when you're like pour water out of like a jug and it's like that flow, that soft flow of water, that's one extreme. And the other extreme is um, pulling a thorn out of wet wool. Okay. So those are like the two extremes of feelings that you're going to have when your soul leaves your body. And so you'll feel something in between that. Based off of if you were like a good person or like a bad person. A good, good person or a bad, bad person. Those are inanimate examples like how does water feel how does the it's like oh, but that's you just have to imagine it you just have to imagine okay. it. yeah it's like the feeling that it gives you and in that there's a recognition that that is yeah. such a one you know peaceful feeling and that's not a pleasant feeling okay even though i'm sure a lot of people have not felt thorn being pulled out of wool before yeah. but you can feel what that feels like not crazy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a pretty cool conversation. Yeah. What are we talking about again? So yeah, oh. so I was just well, I was this telling is what you, happens. Like, after, yeah, this is what that. happens, and so there's like a whole process, and you can see the people around you, and mm. you know you can hear the people, and like see what they're saying and what they're doing, and um, yeah, I mean we know everything all the way to whether you, until you go to heaven or hell. Mm. I learned this in high school. Mm. Very detailed. Yeah, that's what I really love about Islam, too, is that there's such detailed accounts of things. Yeah. And, like, I know, like, such detail about the Prophet's life. And that was, like, 1,400 years ago. And, like, his life and the other pe people around him, their life, and, like, the way that they reacted to things. And, like, for example, before the bef right before Islam came into the picture, before the Prophet Muhammad became a prophet, there was infanticide. So they would bury their baby girls alive. And um, because, like, girls were seen kind of as a burden. I mean, they were seen as a burden. And, like, they were just going to cost you money and all of this stuff and bring shame to your family. So they're like, you just kill them. And so one of the people who became Muslim later on was, like, um, like this was because this was before Islam. Like, up until Islam, and even when Islam came, like, they were trying, Islam was trying to, like, because Islam came in... Okay, you don't know anything. Do you? I'm kind of like jumping into the middle of the no, story. That's fine, yeah. But Arabia was a really, 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 really horrible place. Mm. Um, and the things that they were doing was really, really vile. So they had infanticide. They would, you know, murder and kill people. Like, it was just really bad society. And Islam came into that town to help the people chill out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
<laughs> guys. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. not such a big deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so, it's a okay. game. And so basically what I'm saying is that one person who ended up, who became Muslim when Islam came about was like crying one day and they asked him like, hey, why are you crying? And he's like, I was just remembering how like I buried her and I was like holding, she was holding my pinky, like her hand was out of the sand and she was holding my pinky and I like was like until I like, I felt when she like let go that she just couldn't breathe. And it, like, blows my mind that I can be transported into his experience. And there's so much that we know about his life, too. And, like, understanding how, like, someone 1,400 years ago went through that. And being able to relate to that feeling. Like, I feel like Islam gives me so much. It gives me the ability to understand people, to understand the world, to understand, like, God, to understand, you know... Like your spirituality, it's just crazy. <laughs> There's just so much to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. What were we talking about? Oh. Oh. Okay. <laughs> How did we get there? I don't remember. I do not remember. This happens every time I talk about Islam. Like, it just comes out. Yeah, okay. Oh, I was asking about the presence of Islam in your culture. But you you did already answer that. presentation of it in my family, correct? And then we went to values and morals. It's a little bit off the rails, but (laughs) I got this, I got this. Okay, I think I've got some answers to what is God and do you see... God's presence. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I do. In everything. Mm. I can't not. Like you said, this is like the kind of things, you know, I think about this stuff all the time. And I'm constantly thinking like, how do I, like every time I interact with God through like learning or praying or whatever, you know, listening to a lecture, like, I feel like I transform. So yes, I do feel feel it very strongly. Yeah. Okay. And it's like a feeling that like I know no one can take away from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like very secure in that feeling. And so that's yeah. it doesn't bother me when people say like all of this stuff about Islam. Yeah. Because I'm like, I know that that's not true. I know it's just like what they're thinking. Yeah. Um, so like I told you how I had an atheist phase Mm -hmm. and I feel like the presence of what is called God has increased in my life over time. Mm -hmm. Has yours been steady? It's been steady. It's just been more complex, but I've, I've always felt this side this like sense of security okay and like this like overwhelming feeling like i mean i feel like it's more like this and in islam like spirituality is is explained like this as well it's constantly ebbing and flowing and so sometimes i forget so actually in arabic the word for human comes from the root word forgetful 
Oh, that's <laughs> to forget. Cool. To yeah. forget, yeah. Yeah. And we are very forgetful people, for better yeah. and for worse. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, sometimes you forget, right? Yeah. And I, and I think, but that's like part of, like if everything was always good, then would you know that it's good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I understand that. What was I trying to get at? Yeah. Do you think that you're a good person? I think that I try to be a good person. To be very honest with you, I think that Okay, I think a couple of things. I know this wasn't supposed to be a complicated question. <laughs> but I think a couple of things. I think in my actions, I'm a good person. I think in my instinctual like thoughts, I'm like not a very nice person. But I think in my soul, I do more actions that are good because I know what my instincts are and I try really hard to change those. Hmm. That's what I know. Yeah, okay. And I think that it just depends on what wins. If I get tired and these instincts come out and the papers go down and sometimes it's like, hmm. you know. Yeah, no, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, well, what did you or do you think about death all the time? I mean, I just know like this world is like temporary and all I'm doing in this world is like preparing for the world that comes after it. So is it based on a hope? Probably. Well, I'm okay with that because it makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. So this book that I'm reading, I'm just going to point to the book now. Uh, He says that hope is an obstacle. And, awesome. Um, okay, should I just read this to you? I was just reading it this morning. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. And, okay. What is this? Hope is an obstacle. Hope as an obstacle. As an obstacle. All right. Okay. <clears throat> you ready? Hope is important because it can make the present moment less difficult to bear. If we believe that tomorrow will be better, we can bear a hardship today. But that is the most that hope can do for us, to make some hardship lighter. When I think deeply about the nature of hope, I see something tragic. Since we cling to our hope in the future, we do not focus our energies and capabilities on the present moment. We use hope to believe something better will happen in the future, that we will arrive at peace or the kingdom of God. Hope becomes a new kind of obstacle. If you can refrain from hoping, you can bring yourself entirely into the present moment and discover the joy that is already here. Enlightenment, peace, and joy will not be granted by someone else. The well is within us, and if we dig deeply in the present moment, the water will spring forth. We must go back to the present moment in order to be really alive. When we practice conscious breathing, we practice going back to the present moment where everything is happening. Western civilization places so much emphasis on the idea of hope that we sacrifice the present moment. Hope is for the future. It cannot help us discover joy, peace, or enlightenment in the present moment. Many religions are based on the notion of hope, and this teaching about refraining from hope may create a strong reaction. 
but the shock can bring about something important. I do not mean that you should not have hope, but that hope is not enough. Hope can create an obstacle for you, and if you dwell in the energy of hope, you will not bring yourself back entirely into the present moment. If you re-channel those energies into being aware of what is going on in the present moment, you will be able to make a breakthrough and discover joy and peace right in the present moment, inside of yourself and all around you. There's another paragraph. Should I finish it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A.J. Muste, the mid-20th century leader of the peace movement in America, who inspired millions of people, said, There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. This means that we can realize peace right in the present moment with our look, our smile, our words, and our actions. Peace work is not a means. Each step we make should be peace. Each step we make should be joy. Each step we make should be happiness. If we are determined, we can do it. We don't need the future. We can smile and relax. Everything we want is right here in the present moment. Do you agree with that or? No. You don't? No. Okay. I don't agree with it for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, three reasons actually. Yeah. The first is that the author speaks of being presently peaceful and content. And I don't think that that is the reality for people. Like, that is not something that people can just do because people feel angry. They feel horrible feelings, evil feelings, and sometimes they feel good feelings. Yeah. And so I don't think that we can ever reach it. Like, I don't think it's possible, attainable, or even, like, even uh, something that we should aspire for because it's not based in how humans operate. But what if there is a person that actually lives with that mindset and they don't have pain and they're like, this is great. Well, then I think that then that's applicable to one person. Okay. Well, I feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. I have, I don't have much hope. Well, I mean, it's not that it's like, it can be correct for you, but when I hear it, it doesn't sound like truth. Okay. It sounds like a tool that some people can try to use and try to attain to make, you know, to feel like things have more meaning. What is a tool? Hope is a tool? No, I think oh. a tool is like the instructions that he laid out on uh-huh. how to feel peaceful every day rather than have hope. Yeah. But I don't think that that's applicable to everybody. So I don't see that as truth. I see. Okay. Who do you find that it would not be applicable to? Um, it doesn't apply to me. Hmm. And then also a lot of people are like straight up, Like, people, in my experience with people, people can be evil, and then they can be good, and they can be evil, and they can be good. They can be good for a long time for the rest of their life, and only good. They can be only evil. And so I think that that's just not applicable to those people. Yeah. Have you tried bringing your attention to the breath? To Like, as a meditation practice ever? Yeah. Okay. All right, we can talk about that later on, because that's like a whole other tangent. I have some, like, thoughts on that matter but i think it's gonna be a side thing i just have to remember i have to commit to memory think about the breath <laughs> okay 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 I'm, i poured you some runny ice cream <laughs> yay okay cool yeah how long has it been sitting here 
I, I don't know. I have no sense of time. It. Yeah, I have no idea. Mm. <laughs> this is great. Thank you. Yeah, you're Okay, boop, boop, boop. Oh, yeah. I think I... Values and morals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talked a little bit about values and morals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like the relativity of values and morals and how do you understand religion and... Mm the way that people are so married to their values and like the, the not under, what does the fourth cat? <laughs> you see there's that cat up there and then there's that one. And then I don't <laughs> I can't tell what's a cat and what's a shadow cat. Oh, you mean like a reflection? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I love this little cat family. Anyways, yeah, just people's, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about values hope. and morals. No, oh, hope. Actually, this dovetails pretty well into one of the things that you said. Yeah. Relationship with the present moment, given that we exist in a timeline. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that. Like, how do you be? How do you be present? Hmm. And also recognize your insignificance, but also find meaning in your current life. You think we're insignificant? Oh, I mean, relatively, relatively to relative to what? To all of the other people on this earth. There is nothing else. There is just experience arising. The boundary. Oh, okay. I really? feel like I am uh, <laughs> getting on my hobby horse, which yeah, is yeah, a whole yeah. other do thing. Do it, do it. But do I it. have talked about this so many times on my podcast. I don't want to do it again. Okay. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> okay. But I'll, okay. it's it's not. It's called non-duality. It's basically the idea that there is nothing separate from the self or God. It's the same thing. Well, and then how do you learn? It keeps happening. There's no answer. But we'll get to that <laughs> later. We'll get to that later. That's a whole other thing. I don't want to be talking. Uh, but okay, so yeah, what does it make so you think? Relationship, yeah, yeah. So I just I think about like you know like religion exists and your relationship with God exists, and maybe that's like the answer is God. Like God mm. is everywhere, and you know God is everything, and God is, mm. and maybe that's how things that seem so contradicting can exist in the same realm because God exists. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. I think we, you kind of already talked about this in the perception of Islam, but mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, so you're pretty young. A lot of young people I see are like, whoa. How okay. do you define young? Young. You feel young to me. Okay. So okay. <laughs> for most people who is, feel... I yeah. mean, is young just like younger than you? Uh, let me think about what I was trying to get at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after I ask my whole question, I think you'll understand what I okay, mean by young. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, like, if you are young, my perception is that it's not cool to be too religious when you're young. Yeah. Because you're kind of, I don't know, we're like, oh, I'm free, don't yeah. care about authority, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, has... This is a different question than the anti-Islam notions. This is a more general, like, anti-religion. So have people ever made you feel like it's uncool to be this religious? 
but I never pay attention to it. I see. I'm talking about how fashionable it is in a social circle. I feel like it's fashionable to accept people. Oh, okay. You really think that? At least in the circles that I've experienced. I, I don't think I've... Mm. I can't, like, tell you about an experience that someone was just like, oh, you pray? Like, mm. and even if they did that, I'd be like, yeah. Like, it doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. Like, I'm not... When it comes to God and spirituality, mm. I don't have any interest in, like, comparing... Comparing that... Except in, like, I'm like, oh, this person seems really close to God. I want to know how, what, like, how, what their thoughts are. Like, I'm curious about people's relationships, but not in any judgmental way. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. So, the last thing mm. on this topic. Yeah, what do you want? I was going to say also. Yeah. Remember what I talked about the shadow self? Yeah. So, like, anytime anybody has any sort of negative feelings towards me, I know that it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. And so when someone is like, oh, why do you whatever? My truth has nothing... Their question has nothing to do with my truth. So other people never, like, ask you such questions where it's also, like, true... Like, they point out something that you also feel you need to improve about yourself. That never happens? Not unless it's, like, my really, really, really close friends. Okay. So but I'm talking, like, that. generally. Yeah, like, the yeah. people who would say something about, like, oh, why do you do this yeah. or why do you do that? Yeah. Those are not, first of all, not the people that are very close to me. Mm-hmm. And then if they say that, I know that it's not a reflection of me. It's a reflection of them. So maybe that's why I can't think of any experiences because I'm just like, I've never felt like it was, it never, I've never had the thought of like, oh, this person's making me feel bad. I wish I didn't do this. Yeah. I wear a headscarf every day, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Okay. Oh, so the last thing that I wanted to ask you in this section is about the fluidity of identity Mm -hmm. in connecting with others. What does that mean? Okay. So my, like, and we'll get to this later, but my main approach, one of my main approaches when it comes to therapy is understanding the self in relation to other people. Because that's really where, you know, a lot of, a lot of your development happens. And so, it's just so interesting to me how, like, I can sit here and you can sit here and we can be these people, but there is no guarantee that we will be these people 10 minutes from now, an hour from now. Like, you know, maybe a year from now, we're just going to be fundamentally different people. Mm. But not only that, but like your relationship with like Nolan is going to be different than your relationship with your mom. Like you are a different person in some ways with either with both of those. 
And you're, we're all different people with every person that we interact. And we try to be consistent. But even in our like interaction with people and the thoughts that they have about us mm. is like even more different than maybe what we're trying to be, who we're trying to be. And it goes back to like values and morals because people are looking at you through the lens of their values. And so I think about like, who, who are we outside of ourselves? Outside of our different selves to different people? No, outside of who we, who we are, mm. who are we? How do we exist in the world? Like, is there a way to measure everybody's perception of you and have like a prototype of who you are? And maybe there isn't, but that would be really cool. Because like in these people, there's, I feel like there's like a, like a fluidity in who I am. Of like, I might be, you know, really connected to my ethnic identity today, but like, not connected to it at all tomorrow. But also just really compassionate today and then just really angry and grumpy tomorrow. And it just like the changes in humanness plus the impact it has on other people plus the directions you want your relationships with people to go. That's just, it's just so fascinating to me. And so... You know, like, I just often think, I just reflect about, like, my relationship with other people and, like, who am I trying to be and who do I want to be and how can I be, like, a source of, you know, comfort or help or, like, whatever for people while still being true to myself but not necessarily worrying about being 100% myself because that's just never going to exist. Well, how do you know that that won't exist? Because I think that there's parts of yourselves that you can't express. Maybe not. Yeah, but maybe you do it later and it's to one person. No, no. Oh, I meant something mean? else. But, oh, okay. okay. But we don't... Yeah, once again, that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I want to know what you, like, what, what you would say. <laughs> yeah, but like I've talked about it many times. Okay, okay. But just real short, I think anything that is being expressed at all is all me. And within that arises the illusion of not being able to express. That's an experience. It's a constricted experience of not being able to express. But it is an experience. It's an expression. I see what you're saying, but I don't think that all of you is going to be perceived by one person. There is like nothing else. This is all. Oh, oh, right, because you're in, you're in the present, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone is in the present. Like, thoughts about the non-present are things arising in the present. But they existed in the non-present. There is no non-present. There is only this. <laughs> <laughs> that idea is something that just arose in the present. Right, but history exists. As a thought. Correct. In the present moment. Correct. But even as a thought, it exists. Yeah. It's, it's a story that exists. And we can think about ourselves in these different time points. 
Yeah, that's imagination. <laughs> yeah. So even in our imagination, it exists. Yeah. And there's value to that. Depends on what you imagine is value. For some people, I think, knowing history yeah. is valuable. Right. I think it's valuable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think <laughs> we've, we've found a middle ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's only one ground. <laughs> we are all trying to find it. I don't know if it's in the middle or the corner. <laughs> There's just one ground. <laughs> you know? If I say, no, you found the middle ground, I yeah, found yeah, this yeah. corner of the ground. That's it's just right. one ground. <laughs> if there is... If there is one ground, you cannot situate it with respect to anything else. Like, is it in the middle of where it was supposed to be? <laughs> there is nothing else. Mm. I'm thinking, okay, this is... I think right now is the middle. Right now is the middle? Yeah. In space and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are meeting in the middle ground. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was the thing that you said about fluidity of identity. Yeah, I, I, maybe I didn't, you know, choose the correct words, but yeah, that's what I felt like encompassed yeah. these thoughts. So do you find it pretty easy to change? No. I think it's really incredible when other people find it really easy to change or like when they do it quickly. I think that's like crazy to me. Like when people oh. even like learn a new instrument really fast, that blows my mind. So are you the same way in front of every person that you meet? Or like, are you pretty consistent? I think I'm pretty consistent. I would actually say I've been pretty consistent ever since I was young. Mm. Yeah. I feel like I've been generally the same person. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think, right. like, my understanding of things have changed, but yeah. I've been, I've, I've been even, like, it seems almost like mm -hmm. the more I live, the more I confirm, like, and maybe it's confirmation bias, I don't know, but, like, the more I confirm, like, oh, okay, like, what I innately thought I should do is, you know, grounded in something real. Yeah. <sighs> okay, uh... When you met me, you said that I have good energy. What does yeah. that mean? What does energy mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is this some quality of human beings that you, you're able to perceive? Um, people tell me, some people tell me that I can. But I think I just read people really well. Mm. Like, I can, I, I can pay attention to... If, like, some people are just existing and some people are watching. In that, the people who are existing, I feel like, don't care and they are just themselves. Because they feel like they're, who they are, like, transcends their, like, transcends, like, their fear of like rejection and then there's some people that are scared and those people are watching and I feel like you are not scared oh watching who watching the people around them why they're looking for clues on how to act and how to be and how to exist yeah 
you know, animals don't look at each other so much about what to do. Yeah. They look at each other a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Depending on how social they are. To, like, understand a little yeah. bit. And yeah, and humans are, like, hyper-social. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, without our society, I mean, it's kind of like, fuck. There's, like, there are, like, this apocalypse movies where everyone has died and you have you have available food and everything you can live forever but it's like do you want to live the only person on the planet it's so important to us but if you take like a mountain lion or something i don't know like a wild cat they're like i don't give a shit i live alone (laughs) anyway i'm not gonna go and worry about what other mountain lions think of how i'm raising my young um and this social mirror is such a big part of our sense of who we are. Right. Is what we have learned to avoid like hurting us or yeah, and we kind of define ourselves through that. Okay. But I feel like when someone ha- when I feel like like what I the energy that I felt from you was that mm-hmm. In this moment in your life, currently, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. you're not, like, spending too much time, like, looking into this mirror. What mirror? Like, the social mirror. Oh, okay. You felt that way? Yeah. That's a pretty deep thing to feel. (laughs) Yeah. At, like, like, you just, like, saw me and we talked. Wow, that's like a pretty... But yeah. you feel, you felt pretty confident when that happened. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a quality... It's one of the qualities that I look for in people. Because mm. it's a quality that I really admire. And so I look for it. And so when I find it, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, you wow. have this thing. Wow. How are you, how are you so good at it, though? <laughs> like, how are you so... <laughs> it's like so many I, things. I like, just happen to... I don't know. Yeah. I happen to be right. And sometimes I think, like... I wonder if people, like, want to believe me and they tell me I'm right. Because most of the time, like 99% of the time, if not more than that, I would say something like this to someone about them and they'd be like, whoa, yeah, I feel that very strongly. What I can say for sure is that that is a value that I aspire to, but I don't know if I already model that. So that at least is a pretty big coincidence that you said that. Okay. Yeah. Oh. But I don't know if I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like with some people, I'm just really convincing. And so they just believe that I'm right. But I don't, that's why, like, I don't know if I'm. Yeah, I think you're pretty convincing. Like, I was telling you earlier how quickly my mind was changing. And I'm, like, yeah. believing everything that you're telling people me. People tell me that, yeah. Yeah, but. I think I could be a cult leader. Yeah, definitely. You're like the second <laughs> cult leader that I'm hanging out with. Wait, for this... real? Yeah, the first one was my friend Pratim with his tantra group. Yeah, he yeah, actually yeah. wants to make an ashram. And Whoa. I would go. I would go tomorrow. <laughs> like, Pratim, yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me about what you think about life. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people believe me. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I'm believing you because what you're saying is the truth. That's a very bold statement to make because how do we know what truth is well isn't that what a lot of this conversation was about is how do you internally know what truth is like you just have a sense okay yeah like so when you it comes feel that for like in your in your understanding of what truth is it just feels like it's yeah. right yeah. how do you know if it's not just a feeling 
It could be a feeling, but it's definitely happening. That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everything is just happening. And the, and the feeling that this is true is arising. I don't actually do any science, by the way. When you were talking about like being intelligent and like, wow, if I'm this intelligent, I think intelligence just arises. And the boundary between did I find this or the, did the universe mm-hmm. just come? And it's like, this is the structure. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So I feel like the intelligence just arises. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. That's a really, that's a really interesting perspective that I've never heard of before. Yeah. On like how to exist. And so it's gonna, I'm, I'm really excited to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to think that I am smart. Mm-hmm. And that scientists are smart. And we are figuring all of this stuff out in just like a dead material universe. Mm-hmm. Which, there's no reason for it to be cool. Yeah. Or rich, or magical, or whatever. There's no need right. for it. But we just... We yeah, just, just like uh, it's just happy. like the yeah, whatever. I don't know what even I'm talking about. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about being a cult leader. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like what you're saying is true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just this is <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's time to move on right. to the next part. There is this really good friend of mine called Benam. Benam Arzaki. Benam and I met at a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Uh, Benam's dad is from Iran. Benam's mom is Texan. And he went to like Catholic school for a while or whatever and then was homeschooled. And Benam is very smart. Mm-hmm. And at UT, I used to organize at the end of every week a like... A thing where anyone could come and give a talk about anything that they want to. And so Benam said, I want to talk about Islam. Because I don't know anything about Islam. Like, I grew up and, like, I just don't know anything about Islam. And so this is a challenge. I'm going to give a talk about Islam. And now I know nothing. And between now and then, I will learn about Islam. And so this is going to be my motivation. God, it's a big task. Yeah. And he completely failed. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how do you just, like, learn about something oh. from knowing nothing? I mean, a world oh, religion. Oh, he, he went and, like, picked up two or three books from the library and did not read them. Oh. Yeah. He tried. He, he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted so, to. on the day, he's like, oh, my God, Neil, I can't do this. I can't do this. Okay. Can I maybe, like, I'll just try and transform this to a discussion. And he doesn't know anything to even stimulate the discussion about. So we come in and I'm like, you're going to be fine. I thought that he's just nervous and he has something to go on. And the moment that he gets oh, comfortable. So right. I so announced the whole thing. Nothing. Yeah, I like announced the whole thing. And he's like sitting next to me. He's like, oh my God. And then he like starts this roundtable discussion. And his questions are just so... <laughs> I can tell that he is... And done no, no research. Yeah. yeah. And How so he's like, what to say? Um, like about 10 people. Well, anyway, what happened was so that there was this Pakistani um, physics grad student. Mm-hmm. And he started to talk a little bit about Islam. And then it kind of pivoted to perceptions of Islam in India. Because mm-hmm. like Pakistan is like this polar 
thing. Mm. It's like one of the enemies, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in India, to a yeah, lot of people, Islam of is an uh, enemy. Hmm? Yeah, it was India, and then it was like the Muslims were pros- prosecuted, and they like made their own country. Yeah. So, um, what am I talking about? So anyway, so so, friend, yeah, so, so he pivoted to that, and so he was saved. But. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So So there's like a group of people just talking about Islam but have no idea. No, the uh, Pakistani guy did actually know quite mm-hmm. a bit about Islam. So he kind of saved the day. Mm-hmm. But Benam was like the c- most complete failure in telling me telling me about you. Islam. He so I told you that he doesn't know anything. <sighs> I well, I think he still like did a good job in that he had a sense of the situation that okay, let's just make this a discussion. It doesn't have to be me telling people as long as someone learns something and I commend him for like having having the boss just okay and if it came to that he would I think he would be honest and he would say like I, I'm sorry I was supposed to like read about this but I don't know but like if you guys could like just talk about it <laughs> anyway so I feel like this conversation is making up for that. <laughs> yeah. good good yeah Okay. I love talking about yeah. this stuff. Thanks for hanging out with me and Hanan today in the Room of Lives. In the next and brief last part, we will talk about Hanan's therapy work.